Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. Drilling Deep is the place where we drill deep into the issue of oil and diesel, the things that keep those trucks and trains rolling down the highway or rolling down the track. And it's also the place where we drill deep into an issue of the day. Today, we're going to talk about one that's a little different. It's about eating. Specifically, as this pandemic lifts, or even before then, should those food trucks sitting in rest stops around the country be allowed to stay there? Remember, they weren't allowed there before the pandemic. It was done as a service to truckers who were under all sorts of strain of getting food while getting supplies out. So it has been a very big change, allowing them to be there in the first place. We're going to talk to a Washington-based lawyer who was just itching for a fight when the question comes up over whether they should stay. She thinks they should. We're going to talk to her in a few minutes, but let's talk about oil and diesel, as we always do to start the show. Two things that I want to mention this week, both of them are very good from the perspective of drivers and other consumers. On diesel, congratulations. If you're a user of it, you made history. In the U.S., the Energy Information Administration reported this week that inventories of distillate when measured in days supply are the highest they've ever been. For day's supply, it's pretty simple. You take the level of inventories, you divide in average daily consumption, and you get day's supply. In the most recent report, it was at 51.7 days this week. That is the highest it's ever been. Remember that most of the time, it's probably around 30 to 35. That just shows you how big a change we've had. Uh, that, As I said, that number has never even been above 51 before. Uh, that's for all distillates. Distillates are mostly diesel, though there are a few other things in there. So what that means is that if all diesel production stopped, inventories would be enough to take care of demand for longer than it's ever been. One of the reasons is something we wrote about the past few days on FreightWaves.com and which we've been discussing here on Drilling Deep. Refiners don't want to make jet fuel. Jet is like diesel. It is a distillate. Nobody wants to make jets because of the collapse in air travel. Obviously, trucking and diesel demand has collapsed too, but nowhere near the fall like the fallen jet. So if you're a refiner, you can't stop making distillates entirely. Uh, Recently, they've been going back to making more gasoline because the world is coming out of lockdown and gasoline consumption is rising. So instead, what they do is they make more diesel and less jet. That's why you get 51 days plus worth of inventories of of diesel. But you want to know something? It isn't really working on the jet fuel side because they're now over 70 days. A year ago, they were about 21 days. And there's a problem here because Jet has a problem in storage. It deteriorates more rapidly than some other products. And airlines might not find that too cool to be putting those molecules into their engines that might be 60 or 70 days old. That's an issue that the industry is going to have to face. But again, the main point, lots and lots of diesel fuel out there. The second piece of good news that I mentioned is that amazingly, some crude production in the U.S. is starting to come back online. Now, let's be clear here. There's no upturn yet in drilling. That would show up in the rig count, and the rig count is at the lowest level since 2009. But incredibly, this past week, two companies that operate in the Texas oil patch, Parsley and EOG, their executives both told a conference that they were bringing some oil production back online as the price of West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil has moved above $35 a barrel. You know, that that move alone is pretty amazing when you think that it was it slid below zero, but six weeks ago. And even after it rebounded after that, it got all the way up to about 12 or $13. And here we are above $35 a barrel. There's no doubt that the trucking sector that services the oil industry has taken a really big hit. The U.S. recount is down to levels last seen in 2009, as I mentioned. 
And even back then, the oil count was way down, but the natural gas count, the number of rigs drilling for natural gas was still running pretty high. So it wasn't like the disaster you had today. You don't even have 100 rigs looking for gas right now. Hauling a rig out into the field and drilling for new oil, always going to create a lot more trucking jobs than just bringing an existing well back online. So the return of some of this shut-in oil is not the great boon to energy-related trucking that this industry really could use. So the next thing to watch for then is whether these higher prices do, in fact, start to bring some rigs back into the fields, and that's where the trucking-related activity really comes from. Let's keep in mind that even if an existing well can be successfully brought back on at $35, that doesn't mean that a new well can be drilled at that price. And companies are committed to keeping their discipline generating free cash flow, and making their bankers happy. It could be that last week's low point in the rig count is at a bottom, but there aren't a lot of signs that we're going to get a turnaround soon, and that's unfortunate because if we did, that would bring jobs and demand for energy-related trucks back into the picture. We're going to shift our focus now over to a small number of facilities that I think have the potential to become a real issue for the trucking sector going forward. I'm talking about food trucks. If you work in a large city, you can see them lined up at lunchtime, or maybe at least you could before the pandemic, and they sell a huge variety of offerings. You might have one selling Italian stuff, next to one selling Indian food, next to one selling burgers, next to one selling empanadas. But these trucks have made some inroads in the past few months into the trucking sector. Several states allowed them to park and sell their offerings at rest stops on the highways, particularly along the interstate highway system. You know, this may not seem like a big deal, but it is a big breach of what had been something that could be viewed as almost a firewall. I used to go to the meetings of the Society for Independent uh, Society of Independent Gasoline Marketers of America, which are a lot of the big uh, chains of convenience stores like a, a Wawa or a racetrack. And they'd have a big legislative session and they'd talk about issues that were important to them. And one of the things that kept coming up was we have to keep the restaurants off the interstate highways. We want them getting off and going to our facilities. So having the food trucks show up on the highway, really, really big deal. So it was done by states under the argument that the nation's truckers were performing a vital public service in the wake of the pandemic, that they were faced with closed restaurants or drive-in places that they really couldn't get to because they're sitting up so high and the, the window is so low, and they really needed another option. And if that option was a place where they were going to pull over to park for the night anyway or park for just a few hours, so much the better. The problem is that there's probably going to be a time for them to leave. Maybe the pressure will start to come from the truck stop owners who see them as a threat. And you know what? I can understand why they think that. It probably is a threat. That issue has caught the eye of an unlikely institution, the Institute for Justice. It's a Washington-based organization that has particular interest in issues of limited government and free markets. It also will look for areas where an entrepreneur is facing what it thinks is excessive government regulation and red tape or barriers to entry that might be stopping it from doing its work. The food truck issue is right up its alley. So to talk about the group's interest today is Jessica Gandy. She's a legislative counsel for the Institute, and she's going to talk about that interest and where it came from. So um, first of all, I noticed uh, where you're located in suburban Washington. You may not know this, but you're very close to a couple of key trucking associations. They're kind of right around the corner from you. So I don't know if they're going to be your allies or not. <laughs> Hi. First of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, but yeah, we've discussed um, 
we discussed this matter with not only food truck operators, but also truck drivers. And also we've been in contact with OOIDA. And so they are fully aware of our efforts and we share updates with them as they become available. So um, we, we share as much as we can and we, we hope to keep everyone aware of what's going on. Now, I'm sure OIDA, OOIDA was mostly supportive of your efforts. Um, you know, we haven't heard anything um, anything to the contrary. Um, and, you know, we solicited their their ideas about um, the the letters and, and things like that. And, you know, they they don't seem to object. Right, so talk about how you got into this. I, I know, I mean, I've seen work that's been done by your group over the years, and it's a real a, eclectic list of things that uh, that are, concern you. Um, this one I'm probably sure was on your planning agenda for the start of 2020. So how did you stumble onto this one and uh, get so passionate about it? Definitely. Um, so IJ has always been active in um, advocating for small businesses. Um, for example, we have our National Street Vending Initiative, which challenges anti-competitive laws that harm street vendors by, on, by uh, that unconstitutionally restrict their right to earn an honest living. Um, so we've always been very active in supporting the rights of street vendors and food trucks, um, food trucks owners, businesses through legislative litigation and activism efforts. Um, so when we learned that the Federal Highway Administration loosened these restrictions on rest areas to allow for food trucks to operate there because they saw that there was a need and they thought that this was a, a great first step, which we agree with, um, we knew that this was a way that we could get involved. Um, you know, IJ knows food trucks. We know food truck owners and businesses, and we've advocated in the space. Um, and we also wanted to offer our assistance and do what we could and what we can to help combat COVID. And um, I, I don't have to tell you or anyone who listens to your podcast that, you know, truck drivers are essential workers. They're, they're heroes. They're the backbone of the American economy, and they're vitally important to um, su- successfully um, combating COVID. And so, um, you know, this seemed like a space that we could get into where we could offer our expertise and pair it with a group that really needs the service. Um, and I think that we've done so su- su- successfully. Um, and, um, you know, it's a win-win for everyone. Well, let's point out that the, while the federal guidelines may have been uh, loosened, it's still up to the states to say, go ahead. And where, where, what the reason I found out about your work is that I saw a piece that you wrote with one of your colleagues at the Institute about the state of Kansas which had rejected it. So, uh, and you wrote this piece for some newspapers in Kansas. So what was the reaction to that? And can you talk about why you think Kansas, uh, Kansas sat on it? Definitely. So, you know, we sent out nine letters across the country um, asking states, because you're com- completely correct. So the federal government loosened restrictions, but it is up to um, the states to allow for food trucks to operate within um, their interstate system, within their bounds. Um, and so we we sent the, the letters out to nine different states and one to Kansas because it is such a hub for, for truck drivers um, going through. Um, the, the, let me interrupt. What did the letters say? So the letters um, asked the Department of Transportation to suspend um, its current um, rules that prohibit truck drivers from operating at rest areas at public interstate highways. Okay, and and so but was Kansas an outlier in its response? What if you, you you've talked about Kansas? That's one of the nine. What did the other eight say? 
Yeah. So we actually just received a response from Maryland saying that they have allowed food truck operator or food truck businesses and operators to open at rest areas. Um, and across the country, there have been many, many states um, that have opened up their their rest stops to food truck operators. I, I actually just read today that Colorado extended um, its its executive order. Governor Polis extended his executive order to um, to allow food trucks to operate at rest areas. So it's a very viable option, and states across the country have have done so. Um, and you know, I it's. You know, it's something that truck drivers are very receptive to, and it's great for the food truck businesses because they're also really struggling. And this is an opportunity for them to not only serve the essential workers, but also to put food on the plates for their own family members during this time. Well, now, are you braced for the next wave? Everybody's talking about the next wave of the of the virus, but let's talk about the next wave. You mentioned Colorado. They, there had to be an action by the governor to extend it. You're going to get the same thing really everywhere else. At a certain point, the orders opening up the doors for this are going to expire. If these are going to be made permanent, this is, as I said in the introduction, a really big breach of a firewall that had been there before. At the Institute, are you thinking like this is an issue we might really want to take on way post-pandemic, that it's not just going to end, um, that everything will go back to the way it was, and or this is something you could really latch on to? Well, I first want to say that I think it's really important for states, especially those that are reopening, to continue waiving these restrictions at rest stops. So until the federal government, you know, if they put the ban back in place, that's an issue, you know, for a later time. But they should continue allowing these businesses, these food truck operators to operate to to have, you know, to support their families and to have an income. Um, past COVID, which, you know, I hope we we get to very, very soon, um, you know, what's good during COVID should be good for after COVID, right? Um, the the ban and the restriction was obviously lifted to, to help people. And they did that in the middle of a global pandemic. And so if it's safe and healthy during a global pandemic, it's going to be safe and healthy after the pandemic when we all go to, you know, normal life. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I hope that after um, after the pandemic goes away, that the Federal Highway Administration continues to remove the restrictions. Um, but if not, we will continue to advocate for consumer choice and reduce and remove barriers that you know stand in the way, especially for you know these drivers. You know, it's interesting. You can imagine them wanting to go to a, a rest stop now because if they were working on a downtown area, I mean, it's dead. You know, you, mm-hmm. yeah, I, we, I, my prior job, I spent a lot of time on our Washington office. It was right at Metro Center there at the corner of 12th and G. Oh. And you know, there, there must have been eight to 10 trucks there every day. And the question, of course, on the one hand, you think, well, everybody's, you know, the trucks will want to go back to their downtown locations. But you know, with more people working from home, whatever, this may be a great opportunity to, to work a, a truck stop for several hours a day. Did you get any sense from the the uh, the food truck operators that you spoke to, whether this has been good, like, you know, they, they like the business they've been getting? Oh, they, they definitely like the business that they've been getting. Um, you know, food truck businesses were were one of the first to be hit extremely hard um, by COVID because there were already so many restrictions as to where they could operate to begin with, which, you know, are ridiculous. And so opening this space for them to, to, you know, do their, their civic, 
you know, it's a, it's a civic duty helping um, essential workers during this time, but also affording them the opportunity to continue to keep their doors open and um, to feed the public and and feed their own families um, has has been extremely beneficial for them. And I, I could imagine that this is something that they would want to continue in the future. You know, we kind of got away from the original point talking about Kansas. Um, your your the, the piece that you wrote in the Kansas newspaper was very very critical. Of the governor there, who's a Democrat. Um, what kind of response did you get from that piece? So um, we actually haven't gotten a, a ton of response um, responses about the piece itself, which I think is kind of fantastic because that says that you know people people read it and they kind of agree and they're they're waiting on um, the governor to to move and to act. Um, and you know we will keep moving our effort efforts forward to ensure that you know food truck businesses continue to operate and continue to be able to earn a livelihood, but also to, to help truck drivers in, in the same vein. So um, we're not stopping and we're, we're going to continue to push until, um, until, you know, everyone is able to work. Now I mentioned earlier in this, when I first started talking about it, I talked about Sigma, the society of independent gasoline marketers. And uh, then there's a group out there called NATSO, the, uh, the truck stop owners, national association of truck stop owners, do you know if your efforts have caught their eye? Have you had any any uh, uh, communication at all with them or at least heard them talking about you probably negatively? <laughs> well, I haven't heard directly um, from any sort of um, truck stop owners association, um, anything like that or a similar group about our efforts. Um, but I do know that NATSO specifically sent a letter to the Federal Highway Administration complaining that food trucks operating at rest stops would, would hurt their bottom line. Um, and they asked the Federal Highway Administration to only allow food trucks to operate in areas that aren't competitive threats to them, um, and then to resume the ban once the, once the pandemic is over. Um, and, you know, they, they do that because they, they know that they can capture the market because they have in the past. And, you know, I, that's not okay. They shouldn't get special favors for, um, for themselves. This is public land. And if it's safe and it's healthy, which food trucks are, they should be able to operate there. And, you know, national associations shouldn't stand in their way or run to the government when um, things don't go their way. Yeah, in your Kansas piece, you quote a driver there who says, you have horrible food and okay food. Most of the time you end up eating out of a vending machine. And of course, vending machines are at the rest stops. And uh, so he knows what he's talking about. You know, I, I can't help but thinking this. I'm thinking about Breezewood. Are you familiar with Breezewood, Pennsylvania? It's the intersection of, I think, I-70, but I could be wrong about that, and the Pennsylvania Turnpike. And they intersect. They go One goes over the other, but there's no intersection. And for years, uh, there were efforts to try to, you know, let's connect the two. But the town of Breezewood and their representatives blocked it because it had forced a lot of not just truck drivers, but cars as well to get off the highway, drive down this, you know, couple mile stretch of Breezewood, which has every fast food and convenience store option you could want, and then get back on the highway. So, you know, the amount of gasoline and diesel and time that was wasted by this was massive. But it was government essentially forcing you to go through this area um, if you wanted to buy something. And I don't know if that's kind of crossed your uh, kind of crossed your radar, but I can't help but think of the same thing. So, um, you know, there are times I know the Institute, they'll really latch onto a case and they'll even take it to litigation. Do you think this might meet that test? 
You know, we are in the business of advocating for small businesses and pulling out every sort of stop that we can to do so. We we work really hard and we don't stop until we we get the results that we want because we know that the work that we do um, is is to help consumers and to help these businesses. And so, you know, in the future, if that's what we have to do, that that might be an, an avenue. But I'm I'm hopeful and I'm excited about continuing this effort and really um, and really making an impactful change in in this vein. But you know, we'll see what the future holds. So, what do you think your next step is? I mean, you've you've done some public advocacy. Obviously, it's not like you've been working on this for years. You can't work on this for years. It's a fairly new issue. So, what do you what besides being on drilling deep with its uh, audience of millions? Uh, what else do you think you'll be doing next? So, next, you know, I think we're going to continue pushing with. Uh, forward with our um, our national street vendors initiative. We're going to continue advocating for food trucks, and we're going to see what the, the federal government does. Um, it it if they you know re, re, uh, don't decide to lift the ban and they keep what what's currently happening in place, then you know we're going to um, you know lobby across the country and work with governors and state legislators to to you know and to make this change permanent at across each of the states. Um, but we'll, we'll have to see what, once we get there. We're really focused on this initiative where we are right now and, and seeing this all the way through. Important question. Do you have a favorite food truck that you like to eat at when you're working in, over there in Arlington, Virginia? Oh, that is, I don't. I don't. <laughs> and I really, really should. I <laughs> I never yeah. had the patience to wait online. I mean, when I was in New York, there was a couple, but they were the lines were enormous. I just rather rush and get something fast and stuff my face. Anyway, <laughs> so we want to thank Jessica Gandhi. She's a legislative counsel for the Institute for Justice for being our guest today on Drilling Deep. Drilling Deep is the place where we drill deep into lots and thing, lots of things. We are part of the Freightcast family of podcasts from Freightways. You can find us on all the main platforms for podcasts. My name is John Kingston. I'm your host. Please join us again. <laughs>